It's another episode of the Searching for Skylab podcast. I'm Sean Behrens, and as usual, I'm here with Dwight Stephen Bonietzky. Hello, and Dwight. Why do you always talk over the song? I always want to hear that. Just well, there's, there's that one uh, moment where it just sends yeah. chills down my spine. Mm-hmm. And you always mm-hmm. stuff it up for me. Oh, hang on. Let's not be too harsh. Uh, and also, this is a podcast at the end of the day, and at some point, we do need to start talking. So, yes, well, the song is a bit odd. It is a bit odd. Uh, quotation from theregister.co.uk. Thank you to them. Thank you. And uh, don't forget to uh, visit vimeo.com and buy the film. Searching for Skylab, the movie on vimeo.com. Yeah, exactly. uh, also, searchingforskylab.com, you can get all the information about the movie. But Dwight, we're not here to talk about the movie. But we are. We're talking, <laughs> well, actually, we're here to talk about the astronauts who flew on the mission of, yeah. of which we based our film upon. That's right. This episode is all about the stars of Skylab. Other than Skylab itself, I guess, uh, these are the guys that made it happen, the, the people that actually went into space. And uh, yeah, so we are going to spend this episode going through the, the three missions, the three manned missions, let's put it that way, that went up to Skylab and discuss the astronauts. And you've also got some anecdotes about some of them uh, because you interviewed them for the film. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and of course, which we will also get to as we discuss the astronauts, um, some of those interviews were actually their last interviews or last time that they would have spoken on record about Skylab. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of uh, Owen Garriott, who passed away a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean... um these guys aren't the youngest anymore. I mean, that's a given. I don't mean to sound negative, but yeah, uh, it was seven. It was forty years ago, or so. You know, but I did not expect to hold the honor of uh, having their very last interviews on film. That is something I never went in there anticipating. I right. that each each one of these guys when they pass away, it hits me very very deeply. Uh, yeah, especially because you knew them personally and uh, got to talk to them. Yes. Yes. So let's let's start at the uh, first manned mission, and perhaps. Um, so the first manned mission was Skylab SL two. The first SL one took uh, the space station into space and caused all kinds of problems that the first manned crew would have to fix. So That's right. Tell us a bit. Tell us a bit about who was on that first manned crew. Okay, that uh, the crew of SL two was Pete Conrad, who was the commander. Paul mm-hmm. White, who was the pilot, and uh, Joe Kerwin, who was the first American physician in space. Wow. Um, the original plan was that the unmanned station, SL-1, would launch on May the 14th, and the very next day, SL-2 would launch and dock with it, and the crew would begin their experiments and observations and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Now, as we discussed in a couple episodes back, the, uh, the meteoroid shield came off the space station and... Subsequently, a solar panel did not deploy, which plunged the entire program into jeopardy. Mm. And from being a crew that had to go up there and perform experiments, they became a crew that had to go up there and rescue a $2.2 million project. Billion. 
fellow. Uh, Billy, yes, I mean, just thanks for the correction, yeah. Uh, so they were the fix-up guys. It was $2.2 billion. $2.2 billion. That's um, right. So, so they were the fix-up crew. Exactly. Now, uh, Pete Conrad was a Gemini veteran. He flew on Gemini 5 and Gemini 11. Mm-hmm. and uh, subsequently was on the Apollo team and commanded the Apollo 12 mission, which was the second mission to land on the moon directly after Apollo right. 11, which you'd right. never guess with Apollo 12. No. Um, and uh, f- would have fulfilled Kennedy's promise of landing within the 60s had Apollo 11 had to abort for whatever reason. They landed right. in November of 1969 and conducted uh, scientific research, pinpoint landing. They they went there to inspect the Surveyor 3 spacecraft, which had been launched uh, three years earlier, right? And or thereabouts three years, and they, they landed within walking distance of the Surveyor, took pieces of it back to Earth to study the effects of long-term exposure to radiation and uh, basically out of space because there's very little, very, very, very little atmosphere on the moon, mm-hmm. uh, basically none. That's negligible. Yeah. Um, and then he was already – he saw the writing on the wall with Apollo 17 and having Apollo 18, 19, and 20 cancelled that if he was to have any chance of flying again, Skylab was the way to go. Okay. And he then uh, opted to, to be on the team of astronauts for Skylab. Paul Weitz was the pilot on SL2, and he was a naval officer and uh, aviator. Okay. And um, that was his first flight on, on SL2. He later commanded the STS-6 mission of the uh, um, space shuttle. And then Joe Kerwin was the scientist pilot on SL2. Now, Joe Kerwin had the honor of being the first American physician in space. Okay. And as I was saying... How, how does that happen? How does one train to become a physician and then become an astronaut? How, well, this how is actually... happened for him? I'm, I'm glad you asked this because we asked Joe, you know, why... How did you become an astronaut? What made you decide to do that? Yeah. And he said, well, I was in the Navy and I figured that after Apollo and after the exploration of the moon, space stations were the way that uh, space travel was going to go in the, in the uh, immediate future. And it would be a requirement to study medicine up there. Uh, sure. that, that was his philosophy. That was his thoughts. So he then decided to apply to the astronaut corps in, in NASA and hoping that uh, his background of being a, a physician would, would help him get the job. And he was of the first group that was selected of what they called the scientist astronauts, which the test pilots didn't look down on too favorably. Okay. But uh, it was a necessary requirement. You know, it, it wasn't going to be the realm of test pilots for all eternity. Sure. And so he got a seat on the SL2 mission. Now, little did any of these guys know that uh, they would end up being the first repair mission in space. <laughs> And uh, we were talking with David Hitt, who wrote the book Homesteading Space, and he was saying to us that prior to Skylab, they had not really had any sort of a plan of what to do when things go wrong to the extent that they did on Skylab. And it was through them training and through their experience that they then devised contingency plans should something like that happen again. Now, okay. it's inconceivable today to think of the ISS being up there without any any uh, procedure 
in case right. things go wrong. Yeah, yeah. And awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> you ended on a tone that's, that suggested there was more to come, and I was just waiting for it, but oh, then, okay, yeah. it came. So uh, Joe Cohen is a, a pretty smart guy then. If he's a physician, if you you don't get not just every guy gets to be a phys- physician and then fly into space. No, that's right, and uh, yeah. he's very proud of that fact. And we talked at great uh, length about his thoughts on how medicine is going with all the virtual reality that you can do to perform operations yeah. and things. And he said, that's yeah. the stuff I was dreaming about when I applied Amazing. to become an astronaut. We interviewed him at great length for the film, so there's a lot of uh, him describing the SL2 mission. Mm. Um, Pete Conrad, unfortunately, was killed in a motorcycle accident in 1999, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah, July 8th, 1999. Right. And so we couldn't interview him. We had to rely on archival footage of Pete Conrad. But we did manage to talk to Paul Weitz. And we had interviewed Joe Kerwin. And he said to us, uh, look, you, you need to talk to Paul. He's got a lot of stuff to tell you. Mm. And we we were at the uh, the astronaut show, and Paul Weitz was the first astronaut I saw when I came through the door. Mm. Um, but there were like another ten astronauts, and of course, I just freaked. I I became <laughs> so nervous. I just said to to Alexandra, my wife, I said, I can't do this. I can't do this. So she said, Come <laughs> on, come with me. She took me uh, back to the to the the hotel room we had, and we we went through this whole calming down and psyching ourselves up thing. Right. Until the Getting point ready that, to talk. Yeah, until the point that I, I you know, was in a nice, relaxed state. We basically did a, a meditation. Right. And then we came back down to the show and I went up to Paul White. He was I, gone. No, he was still there. And I said, <laughs> look, Paul, we're doing a movie on Skylab. Would you would you like to be interviewed for it? Could we could we speak to you? And he just went like this. No, I wouldn't. Oh, and right. I'm like Oh, what a pity! And I was so calm and so centered. I, you know, I would have freaked had we gone in there. Sure. Prior to me calming myself down and getting focused. Yeah. And I just said that is such a pity because we just interviewed Joe and he said we need to talk to you because you've got some great stories to tell. Uh-huh. And he's looking at me and he's nodding and he goes, "Is it just question and answer?" And I go, "Yep." And I said, "I'm not some hoax nut that's going to." put a, a, a question that you faked it all in the studio somewhere. I'm not that type of a person. Yeah. I'm asking yeah, he must you. Have, they must get a lot of those kinds of guys over yes. their, the course of their um, their lives. Yeah. And then, of course, because I'd done the mission reports and, and the book on TV on Skylab, I knew what I was talking about. And I think he picked that up very, very quickly. And he said, yeah. okay, okay, we've got the, uh, the, the panel tomorrow. I'll give you five minutes. I'm like, Yes, yes, we got it. Five we got minutes it. is enough. Five minutes right. is good. And I'm thinking, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to ask him. I'll, that'll that'll be plenty. Five minutes is plenty. I just yeah. you know need to ask exactly the right questions. So yeah. next day comes along, he's up on on the panel talking away, and then at the end of it, he goes, okay, I'm ready for the interview. I'm okay. like, oh, cool. So you know, mic him up, get the camera ready, and I I'm doing it handheld because I'm thinking, well, I haven't got time to set up the tripod. He wants it done in five minutes, right? Yeah. And we're interviewing him. Uh, with questions about how the docking was, how they had to try and pry the solar panel open. And then I'm thinking, Paul, I'm so sorry we went a little bit longer. I don't want to keep you. And he's going, no, 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 I need to tell you this story. (laughs) And he did not not want to stop talking. And then at the end of it, um, he goes, and and you also have to interview my my son, uh, um, Matthew. Okay. So the next thing I'm miking up Matthew Whites and interviewing him <laughs> about his uh, experience growing up as a as a son of an astronaut. 
And we finished that interview and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, mental note, always stay calm when you're asking people if they want to be interviewed. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting aside because uh, it, it can it can happen so often. And if you had just given up and walked away, uh, you would never have gotten that great footage. Exactly. And then to, to hammer that fact home, we got back uh, having done all the interviews and I think it was two or three months later, um, Paul White's passed away. And I thought, oh, oh my oh. God, we got his last interview. Yeah. Um, you know, thank you for for giving us the time to speak to us because right. at least on film for our movie, your story will live on for generations. And yeah. told by him from told the by mouth, him, so to speak. Told yeah, by him. Yeah, it was a, a very uh, special moment. It was a great honor. It's one I wish I didn't have. Uh, I would have rather yeah. him lived a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, but I, I am honored to be able to tell his story and have him tell the story like you, like you were just saying. Um, and, of course, they did a lot of those repair missions, like you were saying. They did a lot of EVAs, and a lot of that footage is in the film, as we spoke about on, on the previous episodes as well. It was very uh, very interesting stuff to see those guys up there. Yeah, it's a, extremely challenging um, EVA. When, when you hear yeah. Pete and, and uh, Joe talking with each other, they are mm. getting frustrated, and we've just taken the best bits out of that whole <laughs> operation. That went on for quite some time. The yeah. audio tapes can be acquired on the Internet Archive. Okay. And it's, a, it's a quite a stressful uh, situation. You're in space doing uh, dangerous EVAs and uh, trying to fix things that are not so easy to fix. I, I can't even imagine that kind of pressure. Well, Joe was saying to us, you know, they did all the training in the neutral buoyancy facility, which is the underwater test facility where they had a mock-up of Skylab. And yeah. to approximate how it is in zero gravity, they, they're in the spacesuit but underwater, so they're floating essentially. And Joe was telling us that the water had a damping effect. It was creating uh, friction that, that would help them balance themselves. When they were up in space, that mm. was no longer there. And they were just yeah. floating around trying to get footholds, handholds, whatever, and they couldn't do it. And all the training sort of suddenly went out the window and they had to improvise. And Joe was telling us they got a, a, a cable and sort of propped him. He was on his two feet standing on the side of Skylab, and this cable was pulling down on his shoulder, and that made him as stable as a judge, as he says in the film. Yeah. And right. with that, they were then able to pry open the solar panel. And right. to give you an idea of how much pressure they were under and how uh, much of a challenge doing that EVA was, Pete Conrad always said after both missions of Apollo 12 and Apollo uh, and of Skylab, Skylab was more fulfilling for him than Apollo ever was. Uh, what also fascinates me about guys that can do that, I mean, I don't know what you have to study to become an astronaut, but they obviously had a lot of know-how of how to fix these kinds of things or just uh, enough know-how to be able to improvise. I mean, if they set me up, I can barely put together ikea furniture for god's sake so i would you know i would not be able to fix things on a on a spacecraft so these guys were improvising and they obviously had some kind of engineering knowledge and know-how right their their training was extensive i think uh, i've got a television interview from the 70s where they were saying for each mission um each astronaut devoted three years of their life full time to training okay. for it yeah yeah. Right, and you think three years to train for twenty-eight days uh, up in space—that's that's a lot. That's so they were up in—they they were up for twenty-eight days. 
Correct, correct. Weeks. That was the original yes. planned time. They were concerned. Um, again, Joe was telling us <laughs> it didn't just stop with the micro meteorite shield coming off and the solar panel. They couldn't dock when they first tried to dock with the space right. station. Right. So they had to open the hatch, depressurize the cabin, and cut a couple of wires to trigger the latching system so that the command module would dock to Skylab. Mm-hmm. And Joe was saying, if we had to come home after two days with nothing done, that would have been terrible. You know, you can hear in, in Joe's voice when he's saying, that was our grand slam. That was that was the, the, the thing that saved the entire Skylab program that meant the other astronauts would go up and, and complete their missions. And he said, you know, I went to bed sleeping quite soundly that night. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Okay, so that was the 25th of May to the 22nd of June, 1973, Skylab SL2. We're almost at the anniversary of that. Yeah, we certainly are. Uh, mission. The next one, the next manned uh, crew to go up was on the 28th of July to the 25th of September, 1973. And that was Owen Garriott, Jack Lausmer, and Alan Bean. Correct, correct. Okay. And similar to uh, the first Skylab mission, Alan Bean was a veteran of Apollo 12. He walked on the moon mm-hmm. with Pete Conrad. Mm-hmm. And Alan got into the Skylab mission actually prior to being involved in Apollo. He was uh, assigned to to working on that program when it was the, the program that no astronaut wanted to deal with. And um, he, due to um, C.C. Williams uh, having passed away while in training for for the Apollo program, he was bumped up into the Apollo crew. And Pete Conrad requested that he be on his his team of Apollo 12. So basically, Uh he got a chance to walk on the moon. And Pete Conrad said to Alan Bean, if you want to have another flight, you've got to move over to Skylab. And because Alan Bean had the experience already from working on the Skylab prior to Apollo, he mm. was very familiar with it. So it wasn't that big of a leap for him. As, as we spoke about at the top of the show, Owen Garriott very recently passed away. I think it was uh, late April, wasn't it? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. I mm. uh, I got uh, the the notification from uh, friends of mine over in Huntsville, which is where Owen was living, right. and uh, I just thought, oh, you know, a, another one we've lost, and another one who thankfully we managed to get the story of prior to them passing away. It's like, yeah. whoo, and um, I'm uh, dealing very regularly with his son Richard Garriott, who went up to the ISS as a space tourist. Mm-hmm. And it was just heartbreaking writing to Richard and sending my condolences or, or writing to Owen's uh, wife, Eve. Uh, I was, you know, that one hit hard because okay. we had spent a lot of time talking with the Garriots um, mm-hmm. after we interviewed him. I know he saw the film, which I'm very, very happy about. Uh, David Hitt uh, went round to Owen's house and they had a private screening. This was before we released the oh. film. That's so incredible. It's like, oh, you know, he, he at least saw the end product, which uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I'm very happy about. And I know he was very enthused about the film. So it mm. was uh, mm. a nice story to hear from David. Uh, where did you get to interview him? Uh, was that at, at his home? Or? No, that was in uh, the, the Marriott in Huntsville. Oh, okay. He, he came specially uh, for us and uh, we, mm-hmm. we had a nice uh, chat with him. 
uh, you know, another another thing, you know, we we were waiting for him to arrive and David said, look, I'll, I'll walk you around to the rocket centre because that's where the Marriott is on the same ground, so you're within walking distance. And we come back into the hotel foyer and there's Owen and Eve and you look at them and you go, okay, uh, I've... Uh, <laughs> Here's a here's a childhood hero of mine right in front of me. Um, <laughs> be normal. Be normal. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't mess this up. Don't yeah. mess this up. Uh, and uh, really really cool guy, down to earth. Yeah, we were okay. talking about anything and everything. Um, fantastic uh, interview we had, and uh, yeah, uh, you know we've got his story. Thankfully, thankfully. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that and that's one of the special things about the movie, as you were saying. A lot of these guys are not around to tell their stories anymore, and at least some of them got a chance to say to tell it for the last time, and maybe tell aspects of it that hadn't been told before. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And mm. uh, you know, for for the SL three portion of the film, uh, Owen uh, discusses it quite a bit. Yeah, uh, he was very he- heavily involved in the ATM, the Apollo Telescope Mount, doing solar observations. So he was giving his input of how it was like getting these readings from the sun and, and so forth. It was just so mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. uh, but he will be very, very much missed. Yeah, you take it quite personally, don't you, when you when you lose these guys? Because like you say, uh, they were childhood heroes of yours. and Well, not just childhood heroes. I mean, lifelong heroes of yours. And uh, some of them you've met, so I can imagine it, it hits you quite hard. Yeah, well, uh, I must say, you know, over the making of this film, these people have become my friends. and it's, Yeah, sure, I can it, imagine. It, it, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah, you're watching old footage of theirs, you, you're going through their mission, you're observing their life work, or, or, or not life work, but their work. So, yeah, I can imagine you get to know them pretty well over the course of making a film like that. Well, even though we didn't interview him, for example, Alan Bean, I was corresponding with uh, all through the making of the film and mm. we uh, had assumed wrongly that uh, he, he was ill when we were available to do an interview with him. Mm-hmm. And I wrote to him and I said, look, I'm so sorry. He goes, no, 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 I was okay. I, you, know, you should have called me. And I'm no. like, oh, no. And so we had, arranged, that. we had arranged last year in July to do a, a – a pickup shot of his interview. Right. And uh, it's as well coming up to his uh, first anniversary of passing away and we, we didn't mm. get it. It's like, oh, no, you know. Such a pity. But, but, and, and the Bean family have been so supportive of us. We we were speaking to his ex-wife, Sue, and his daughter, Amy Sue. Okay. And Sue said, oh, well, I'll do the interview for you. I, can, I remember how it was. I'll, I'll tell you from my perspective. So we interviewed Sue Bean, who relayed how it was during both Skylab and Apollo. We only used the Skylab portion of her interview, but she was saying it was very hectic for Apollo, but Skylab was very relaxed because they were up there for so long. And okay. Sue Bean was telling us the story where she, Gracia Lausma, and Helen Garriott came up with the idea to have a mission patch for the astronauts, astronaut wives made up. And they were going to hide these uh, patches through strategic places within Skylab so that when the crew got there and started unloading the equipment, they uh, they would find these these patches of the wives with, with their names on it. it. Was It looks very similar to the, to the to official the mission, mission patch. patch. But it had a naked woman on the front and then the wives' <laughs> names. And then Sue was telling us it was so funny that Jack Lausma said to said to her afterwards, she said, you have no idea how often we looked at that photo. 
Because uh, <laughs> they were up there so oh, long. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so you also interviewed Jack Lausmer for the film. That's right. Now, Jack Lausmer, I must say, uh, was the very first Skylab astronaut I ever met, and that was back in London in 2005. Mm-hmm. And uh, great guy to talk to, and we were talking because Lausma is uh, a, a Dutch name, and he said, "Well, my family lineage goes back to to the Netherlands." And I'm like, "Oh, cool, you mm-hmm. know." And we were talking about it, and he said, "Well, my ancestors were actually seafarers," and I said, "Well, that's actually fitting. You're a spacefarer, so you know you've ca- you've carried on the tradition." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and. Uh, yeah. He was uh, he agreed to do the interview after the Skylab panel that that Paul Weitz had also agreed to do the interview with, right? So, and we were thinking <laughs> Paul Weitz will be five minutes, no trouble, and Jack Lausma, we can accommodate, no worries, there'll be no waiting, right? And because Joe, yeah, uh, yeah. because Paul took so much time, Jack was standing in the corner going, "Look, look, I've got, I haven't got much time, I haven't got much time," and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> first they don't want the interview, now they want to talk to me." <laughs> we're getting to you, buddy. We're getting to you. Oh, because you know they're there to sign autographs and. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm taking them away from from what they're there for, and I felt so yeah. guilty. But uh, Jack was yeah. absolutely superb. Um, okay. His daughter. Did you get a full interview with him? You got a full interview. We, we with did. Him, right? Yes, we did. Where he was talking about the the trouble they had because, <laughs> yeah, the Skylab problems didn't just stop with SL2. After mm. SL3 launched, um, Owen was telling us he's looking out the window and suddenly he sees what appeared to be the. RCS thrust a nozzle floating past the window, and the RCS yeah. is the thing that controls the direction the command module is facing. Yeah, uh, and it's crucial for that thing to work; uh, otherwise, they can't maneuver the spacecraft, and which they couldn't then get back down to Earth. And he was right. saying a couple of days later, they're in Skylab after having docked and so forth, and then suddenly the alarm system went off, and they were in uh-huh. a panic because it was uh-huh. the, the fuel system for the RCS thrusters. Mm. So Alan Bean went into the command module trying to turn everything off and figuring out what the hell's going on. And next thing they know, they're in a press conference with Chris Craft, who's telling them, uh, we're getting the rescue mission sorted out because if you can't maneuver that spacecraft, we have to come and get you. Yeah. And the rescue mission was the unflown mission from the Skylab program, which was Vance Brand and Don Lind. Now, these okay. two trained the sequences to go up there in a modified command module with extra couches put in to take the three guys back down and bring mm-hmm. back whatever essential experiment results and, and so forth that they could bring with them. And they were so diligent, they had tested every single aspect that they actually worked themselves out of a job because they figured out that the command module could fly with two RCS thrusters and therefore a rescue wasn't wasn't necessary. And we interviewed Vance Brand and I could see he was a little bit disappointed. He, he was actually okay about it because he ended up being the command module pilot for the Apollo-Soyuz test program that happened in 1975. So he did get to fly. Poor right. old Don Lind had to wait until the shuttle before he went up. Um, but then th- that just shows the professional attitude of these guys. They're, they're not there yeah. to get a flight. They're there to make sure that their colleagues come back down to Earth alive. Yeah. And uh, Jack Lausma also went on to command STS-3, the third shuttle mission. Okay. And he was in line, actually uh, had the shuttle launched in 1978, to fly the mission that would reboost Skylab into a higher orbit and therefore still be able to be used by the shuttle crews, uh-huh. uh, which well, he never that got was to canceled. Do. Yeah, that was cancelled because was canceled. of the delays. He didn't uh, end up 
flying until 1982, and by that time it was already three years since Skylab mm. had uh, decided to make Western Australia its permanent home. <laughs> and the the cool thing with Jack Lausmer is he, he came out for our premiere in Huntsville, and uh, – his wife, Gracia, was so supportive. She she is interviewed in the film as well, talking about how it was being a wife yeah. of an astronaut. And yeah. we interviewed his daughter, Mary, who yeah. was telling us what it was like growing up, you know. And she was saying the story of they went out onto the onto the front lawn and watched Skylab fly over because he radioed down and said, look, <laughs> I'm going to be flying over Houston. You'll be able to see me. And wow. it was just so cool. And the Lausmas have been absolutely supportive of this. So I got That's a beautiful wonderful. letter after the the uh, the premiere in Huntsville from Jack, just thanking us for for making the uh, the program come alive again. And on yeah. top of that, he also sent a little note and he said, uh, "Look, I don't want to, you know, put put your program in in jeopardy, but uh, I filmed the footage when we approached Skylab, <laughs> and I can tell you the image is is reverse. It's it's flipped." Uh, yeah. So if you can fix that, that'll be cool. I'm like, oh, uh, thank I, you, yes, Jack. Thank you, and I cannot just let it slide. I have to do it because every time he watches sure. that film, now he'll go, "No, nah, look, it's wrong," and I told them. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and like we like we spoke on a previous episode, there will be someone else out there that would have watched the movie and gone, "No, this is not right. These uh, these uh, images are reversed." Yeah, but you know, me in yeah. in another fifty years on 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 my um, bed in in the the uh, old people's home, looking at the the film yeah. again for old time's sake, going, "Wait a no. second, Sunny Jim, why didn't you fix this?" <laughs> so yes, so that was the SL three so, crew. <laughs> okay, that was the SL three crew. Um, then, so they got back September nineteen seventy three, and then on sixteenth of November nineteen seventy three, Skylab SL four flew, and if I remember correctly from a previous episode, you were saying that this was a rookie crew. All rookie crew. Um, none of them had flown prior to this mission, um, mm -hmm. and they were under intense pressure from NASA to make sure nothing went wrong on their mission, yeah. because they were the interim crew until the shuttle flew. Because Everybody viewed at the time the Apollo Soyuz test project as uh, a PR event that was not really a flight. I mean, when you know about the flight, it was anything but. But yeah. of course, it was very symbolic working with the Russians up in space. Yeah. Yeah. But Skylab was the last time that they could put a whole bunch of experiments onto a space station or onto a rocket until the shuttle flew. Jerry Carr was the commander. Bill Pogue was the pilot and Ed Gibson was the scientist pilot. Yeah. And as we just uh, were discussing, it was an all-rookie crew. And so, yeah, they, they were under intense pressure to keep this mission going as smoothly as possible. But now the thing is um, they were very overworked because the SL3 crew had performed 150% better than expected. And yeah. so the ground just automatically assumed that the next crew could do it. And look, geez, they had 84 days up there, so you know they ought to be able yeah, to. They got the time. Not realizing that every crew is different. And, of course, being rookie yeah. crews, they didn't have the experience behind them. So they were, you know, they had to get familiar. Like Ed was saying, they would get sent up a teletext. They had a teletext machine on Skylab. And it was, you know, pages and pages worth of micromanagement. And he said, we read it. We had to figure out what the stuff they were talking about was located. Then we had to put it into mm. practice. And by that time, half the day was gone, and we just couldn't operate under that situation. Yeah. 
So right. they, they ended up having a conference with the ground and said, you've got to back off and let us make decisions. Right. Now, once right. they did that, they they performed exceptionally. And we've got the audio from Deke Slayton when he calls mm. up to to the crew and congratulates them and says, you know, if, if it keeps going the way it's going, this will be the best mission we've ever seen. And, yeah. you know, there is no doubt these guys performed admirably while they were up there. And they were the mm-hmm. ones that observed Comet Kahootek, which was a comet that was discovered in March of 1973. And mm-hmm. uh, we interviewed Dr. Kahootek, who was the fellow that uh, discovered the comet up here in the uh, Hamburg Observatory. And uh, he never gives interviews. And he decided after much gentle pleading over the course of two years to, to talk with us, and I, I drove up there. The second he said, yep, you can interview me, I was, uh, you know, light speed factor, I was up there. He was saying, you know, I, I saw this comet, I passed the information on to the United States, NASA got hold of it, and decided to modify the mission of SL4 so that they could observe this comet while it was mm. uh, during coming over um, or coming into the solar system during the Skylab mission. So mm-hmm. they, they made observations of the comet. It wasn't as spectacular as they had hoped it would be, um, mm-hmm. but they got a lot of good data nonetheless, and they were the first astronauts to ever observe a comet in outer space. Um, there is also, I think we t- talked about this in one of the other podcasts, that Ed happened to be on the controls when uh, he filmed a sunspot event happening or a solar flare. And yeah. this is uh, an iconic photo from the Skylab era. And he said, yeah, I just had to be sitting at the right place at the right time, and that's how I got it. Yeah. And he yeah. was saying as well, you know, you, you were trained uh, to notice when something was going on with the sun to start the cameras because they had limited supply of film. So they couldn't just every time they thought, oh, something's going to happen, push the button and film. Um, <laughs> it's a it's stark contrast to t- today where we could just have the digital cameras rolling pretty much all the time. All right. So the iconic uh, solar picture came from Ed. That's right. Now, Ed wrote a textbook on astrophysics, on solar astrophysics called The Quiet Sun. Ed figured that if he was going to get a seat on Skylab, he would have to know something about the sun. And... Mm. Uh, well, at that point, it wasn't Skylab. He just figured, if I'm going to be an astronaut, I need to know something about uh, the sun. And he figured, uh, I'll study about it. So he got himself an engineering PhD with a minor in physics from Caltech. Okay. So he was right. he was one of the experts on solar activity. So it only stands to reason that he would be one of the astronauts well-suited to be sitting on the Apollo telescope mount to yeah. make observations yeah. of the sun. Highly skilled crew. Now, Not bad for a rookie bunch of guys. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Bill Pogue passed away in 2014, so I didn't get the chance mm. to interview him. I spoke right. at great length with his younger brother, who helped a lot in uh, digging out some information and so forth. So a big thank you to Jerry Pogue um, right. and uh, Bill Pogue's daughter, Lena, who also has been uh, very supportive of our project. With yeah. Jerry Carr, we were unable to to get to him to interview him, but we were very lucky to find a TV station in the United States that had done an interview with him, uh, a young mm-hmm. exchange student from uh, from Norway, I think, uh, Charlotte Sander, interviewed okay. Jerry Carr in the studios of GNAT Television, G-N-A-T, 
And I saw the footage and I, I wrote to them and I said, look, can we lease the footage from you, please? Because we're doing the film on Skylab and would love to do it. And that's the only chance we're going to have to get an up close and personal interview with Jerry Carr. And yeah. thankfully, GNAT were fantastic. And they said, yep, you can have it. And uh, we, you know, we had to pay to lease it. But uh, thankfully, we've, we've got an interview with Jerry Carr as well. Um, the Carr family have been very supportive. Joshua Carr, uh, uh, I've been in contact with since I can't remember how long already. Um, and the, the one thing I will, will say about these guys and their families, um, they're very well aware of the fact that Skylab is a forgotten part of NASA history. Right. And they are so appreciative that we did a film about this forgotten mission because they are yeah. so proud of what they did and they rightly should be. They, they did sure. so much to advance humanity. And, yeah. you know, we were we were discussing the other day, uh, you know, what what, what did uh, Skylab bring us? You know, ap- apart from the roads, the aqueducts and the rest of it, what have the Romans ever given us? <laughs> and. You know, I go into the kitchen, I look at the uh, smoke detector up on the wall, and I'm like, well, that came about because of Skylab. How many people has the simple smoke detector saved since it was first developed back in the 70s? I I can tell you this much, it's it's gone off enough times in our kitchen. (laughs) And also, you also also got the idea for your sponge baths from Skylab. <laughs> oh, yes. So, so, the, Skylab did give Dwight Stephen Bonietsky his SpongeBob. Sponge yes, it, it, it did. And I'm happy to have the shower again. I, uh, mm, I'm yes. sure. I'm sure. Um, but another thing as well, you know, the TV dinner, the thing you buy prepackaged, you stick in the microwave, you heat up and you eat in front of the TV is yeah. also a byproduct of Skylab. Yeah. yeah. Uh, isn't isn't on microwave ovens also a result of some space uh, research or space travel research? Uh, not Maybe that I'm, I'm aware of. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, someone. Otherwise, I'm just going to carry on believing I'm right. <laughs> yeah. So that was the finals, uh, the final man Skylab Skylab mission, and that wraps up our show, Dwight. So yeah. we we're, we're nearly done with our podcast, aren't we? We're nearly done, Dwight. You, you, we've still got two episodes left, though, but we're we're almost done. So the one the one that's coming up next after this one will be the podcast where we talk about Skylab's re-entry uh, over Western Australia, and thereafter we'll be talking in depth about the making of the movie. And we've we've uh, had discussions about making that a video podcast, um, and I think that's probably something that we're going to do. I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, and then we're done. Six episodes and we're out of here. That's right. And then we'll never speak to each other again. Ever, ever again. Um, No, we will. We will. We will. Well, Dwight, as always, it has been fantastic talking to you. Uh, Oh, and to you. And to you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I enjoy hearing about the astronauts and their – I find these guys fascinating. You know, that really is a job – like no other, and uh, it takes a very special kind of person. So it's fascinating to hear about him and also to hear the stories getting told so many years afterwards. Well, I must say it's it's uh, interesting to hear you rattle off mission names and numbers like I you know, know it back to front. I'm thinking when I first approached you to do the song, yeah. you're like, C-Lab? What's that? C-Lab? There was such a thing as C-Lab. Was there? Yes. Okay. Well, that's a that's a whole other podcast series. Yes, it is. Searching for C-Lab. Later. 
searchingforskylab.com is your website. You can find all kinds of information there. You have a blog. Any new blogs since we last spoke? No. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Oh. All right then, mysterious. You know what? Just keep checking the website every day (laughs) and see if there's a new blog out. Uh, This podcast is also available for streaming on the website. Uh, All kinds of news and you can sign up to the mailing list and get lots of interesting tidbits in the newsletter. Yes, and there's another thing as well. We need to plug Ooh. your song because you can buy Ooh, the I was song there. Horizon I was Riders if you there. want. I was getting there. I was actually going to say there's a lot of cool footage of some of those astronauts that we've been discussing in the music video that you put together. I wouldn't say it's a music video. It's kind of a collage of some of the footage that you had in some scenes from the movie. Um, and it's set to the song that my band Tencent Janes wrote for Searching for Skylab. It's the song that register.co.uk called A Bit Odd, and it plays over the end credits. It certainly does. And on that note, a one, a two, a one, Wait, wait, two, wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 yes. wait, 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 wait. I just wanted to tell them if they want to hear that, they can go to Tencent Janes on YouTube. Um, uh, we have a YouTube channel there, and you can check out the song from Searching for Skylab, see some footage from it, and... Yeah, you can decide if it's a bit odd. Okay, right, count us in, count us in. A one, a two, a one, 475, three Whoa. million. What? What? <laughs> Take it away. Take your farewells and blaze trails for the skies. Keep ourselves trimmed until dawn's early light. Across these new frontiers, may the stars. Step outside and watch it from above.